New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today I'm hosting Arjuna Arda, and he's the author of Radical Brilliance. Welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe, Arjuna. Well, thank you. I'm slurping on my cappuccino and ready to enjoy the cafe. Yes, yes, me too. And I'd just like to tell our listeners that for decades you've been exploring how we may tap into our innate brilliance and um, how we can do it in in really predictable ways. So I'd Mm -hmm. love for you to lay out a little thumbnail of what you call the the cycle of brilliance. Sure, sure. So, you know, this whole thing really presented itself to me. It kind of revealed itself to me like a gift. At a time a couple of years ago when I'd been involved in a really intense car accident. So I was after this car accident, I was just laid up. I couldn't do much. And you know what happens if you're just laid up in the bed? There was nobody around. My wife was in Europe. I was just like alone and basically frozen, you know, for a while. And this question kept revealing itself. I was getting on for 60, like, what is a well-lived life? You know, what would it take to die one day and to be able to just take my final sigh? Ah, I lived it well, you know. And even though I was living a really good life, there were things that were, you could say, unnecessary or that were distractions. And there was still a kind of a calling for something more. And so I started to become really fascinated by this question. If I think of people who are highly fulfilled, whose lives are really drenched, marinated in meaning and depth and purpose, and who have high energy, people like Lynn Twist would be a good example, or Barbara Marks Hubbard, there are various. What is it those people have in common? And I realized that what was revealed to me, it's not one thing. It's actually an interesting coming together or a mixture of four different things which have opposing values. They almost seem to be in opposition to each other. So we can think of the brilliant cycle as something like a clock, you know, with 12 at the top, three on the right, six on the bottom, nine on the left. So we can think of four stations on this clock at the top is what you can loosely call awakening. It means moments of transcendence, moments where you transcend your mind, transcend boundaries. Those are kind of spiritual experiences. Three o'clock is moments of creative flow, where things are just flowing through you unimpeded. It's like the artist or the writer or the innovator or the inventor. Six o'clock is moments of accomplishment, where you get things done, you perform within boundaries. And nine o'clock is moments of learning, where you have the humility to realize your limitations and to be able to integrate learning. And when these four things coexist, awakening, creative flow, accomplishment, humility, when they coexist together, it creates a kind of transcendent value. The spinning of those four things freely creates a transcendent value that we could call brilliance. So what kind of practices would you associate with those different phases? Well, you know, just quickly before we talk about practices, it's important to understand that the the brilliant cycle, as I described it, is purely theoretical, right? It doesn't actually exist in real life. No one is actually living this cycle freely. What we actually see, human lives, are really demonstrations of different kinds of blockage, right? So there are actually four kinds of blockage we can isolate. Addiction, which means getting addicted to one phase. Judgment, which means developing a disdain for a phase. 
uh, aspiration resistance, which means you really want to move into something, but you also resist it. And the last one is looping, which is the habit of specializing in just one little part of the cycle. So once we understand these four kinds of blockage and they exist in all four quadrants, we've now got four times four, which is 16 qualities of blockage. Now, once you see that, once we've got an accurate map to realize either brilliance is flowing or one of 16 kinds of blockage is happening, now we are able to go back and look at the whole smorgasbord of practice. Anything that changes your state, whether it's a supplement or a tantric practice or whether it's meditation or whether it's going to the gym or writing a letter of apology or expressing gratitude or whatever or screaming into a cushion whatever constitutes a change of state we can put it somewhere into this cycle as an effective way to undo blockage you mentioned judgment and resistance those are two that popped out for me because i know yeah. that there's a buddhist practice not to resist too much or to grab on to things, to yeah. hold on, be right. acquisitive too yeah. much, you know. So it's neither resisting nor acquiring. Right. So it's kind of working in this more balanced way. And well, it's recognizing that all four of these phases are natural to life and to allow each to have its place in your life, you see. So actually each day, we can make sure that each day we have moments of transcendence, often before the dawn, you know, early, very early in the morning is a good time for that. Uh, we have moments of creative flow, which is also like around the time of the dawn is a good time to have fresh new ideas. We have in the middle of the day, which is about accomplishment for most of us. And we have times of self-reflection and learning towards the end of the day. And finally, there's a time when you return back into sleep and you go back into, I mean, of course, sleep is unconscious. So you're experiencing limitless consciousness in an unconscious way, which is delta waves. But right after you wake up from sleep, if you now, if you sit, you can combine the delta of deep sleep now with alpha two, which is more of an aware state. That's the best time to have moments of conscious transcendence. I know, Arjuna, that you are very passionate about this because mm. you understand that we're living in extraordinary times the Titanic has hit the iceberg, and we're having to really think about where we are and what contributions we're going to make and, mm. and get with it. Mm. So I, I know that you could say something about that. Sure. You know, I think um, I like to sometimes talk about what it's like to raise a child. You know, for many people, they say the most meaningful and fulfilling time of their life was raising small children, where you really feel everything's flowing and it's joyful. It can be a little stressful, but it's very, very rewarding. And when you're raising small children and looking after small children, you don't spend a lot of time introspecting and thinking about yourself. You do what needs to be done. And you do take care of yourself because you want to be there for the children with kindness. So when you have time, you get a massage or something and you have a stop for a cup of tea. But actually, it's a good analogy that when you're raising small children, you need to stay alert. You need to be there for the children and your life in the early years of children is more about them than it is about yourself. And that's a really good analogy for what life is like now on the planet. There are just so many unsolved problems. And there are many people today who, God bless them, you know, who may be too trapped in their own psychological drama to be able to make much of a contribution. You know, if somebody is incredibly fundamentalist or angry or ideologically, you know, enraged, they're not going to be able to make a very good contribution. So if you happen to be lucky enough to have 
a good life. I have an unimprovable life. I mean, I, I, my wife and I, we wake up in the morning, we go like, wow, it just could not get any better. It's like, it's impossible. This is, this is the best it could possibly get. And lo and behold, damn it, it gets even better, you know? <laughs> so when you have that kind of a life where everything is good, you're in really good health, you know, for your age and sex life is great. Emotional life is great. The children are great. Money's flowing. Everything's good. The only halfway decent response to that kind of good fortune is to make a contribution. There's so much suffering on the planet today, unnecessary suffering. If you've got the wherewithal, if you've got the means to be able to contribute, that, in my opinion, is what's the best thing to do with your life at the moment. And that's really what this is all about. Radical brilliance is giving people the support and the framework and the practices to be able to live a life of contribution. There are many things that we could talk about. There are so many ideas and practices and contributions in this whole book. It, yeah. It's just chocked full. It's it's an amazing uh, compilation. But so I'm just going to pick one out of the basket, okay. and not because it's any better than any of the others. But I'm going to pick one out of there. Finding mentors. Yeah, I've interviewed 420 people in my life. I mean, I've recorded like you're doing now. You're, you've done like 3,600. Oh, yeah. I've I done 8,000 hours. Okay, yeah. Well, I've done 420 interviews. And really, when I think of all the people who are really making a profound difference, they all get coached. They all get coached or mentored. They all have somebody who they go to for guidance. We are much better when we collaborate. And in the book, actually, I give a few tips on how to select somebody who will be a good coach for you and also, you know, how to put yourself in the best disposition to take advantage of coaching. I think somebody who really makes an excellent coach or mentor is someone who has traversed the territory that you're embarking upon, but they're still excited about it. So, for example, I remember years ago, I went to a festival, you know, a festival is where everyone gets together with tents and they've got these big tents where people do stuff and, you know, music is like a festival. It was in Sweden. And um, one afternoon at this festival, they had many teachers there. I was there as a teacher. They had many teachers, but one afternoon they shut down the whole festival because this very, 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 very holy nun was coming from India. And she was going to come and bless the whole festival. So they, they shut down everything. Everybody was obliged to go and sit in this big tent with this nun. And this nun, by the way, she was 30-something. She had been a celibate since she was, uh, you know, preteen. I mean, she had grown up in this cult, basically. So she, she comes in, white robes, beads, you know, very holy, holy, holy. Lifelong celibate, right? So sitting in just a few places over from me, there's an enormously pregnant woman. She's like eight months pregnant. So the holy nun gives this, oh, so nice to see everybody. I am here from India. I very much blessing. Namaste. And then this woman, eight months pregnant, struggles to her feet. You know, someone rushes a microphone towards her, struggles to her feet. You know, very difficult to get up. And she says, I'd like to ask a question. And she said, I'm eight months pregnant which was about as unnecessary a thing to say as I'm holding a microphone, because it was so obvious that she was so enormously pregnant, she didn't need to say anything. She said, I'm eight months pregnant. She said, I'd like to get some advice about how to best be a mother. Okay, so now everyone's waiting in pin drop silence for this holy nun to give a lecture. And I thought to myself, there's only one answer that she could give and maintain my respect. And that would be, I am the last person on the planet qualified to answer this question. I've never even kissed a man, you know, let alone do I know anything about motherhood. 
But no, <laughs> but no, she launched into a 20-minute diatribe on how to be a good mother, which she was completely unqualified to talk about, right? And really, that happens a lot. You get celibates talking about sex. You know, you get people who can't sustain a relationship talking about relationship. You get monks talking about how to make money. We go to the worst people for advice. So what I would say is if you want to get mentored or coached, look for somebody who has done or is doing what you want to do in the way that you want to do it. For example, if you want to get good advice about relationship, go talk to John Gray, because John Gray has been married to his wife, Bonnie, for 30 years, and they have got a good thing going on. She's not well right now, but they've, they've got a good thing going on. You know, If you want to know about how to write a book, Go get coached by somebody who's written a bunch of books that you like. And who's still enthused about it. And who's it. still enthused. Because that's the other thing. You know, if you want to make money, you don't want to go to somebody who made money 30 years ago and is now playing golf and doesn't care anymore. Because they, they, <laughs> they, all their enthusiasm, is, is, the fire's gone out. Right. You want to get coached by somebody who's excited about what you want to do. They show mastery, but they've still got their hand in the game, you see. And the other piece of advice you might give is to persist. And I, I just want you to end on this story of how you met the person that you dedicated your book to, Leonard which is Cohen. Leonard yeah. Cohen, yeah, sure, sure. and how you met Leonard Cohen. Okay. So basically, Leonard came out with this incredible album, 10 New Songs, in 2002. And I was writing this book, Translucent Revolution. I had a chapter called Translucent Art, and there was no music I could find anywhere that came anywhere close. So I wrote to his assistant, Kelly Lynch, and I said, could I interview Leonard Cohen? And she said, no, now he's in Montreal, now it's Hanukkah, now he's doing this, now he's doing that. I could never get an appointment. So I kind of gave up. And finally, I get this, uh, this email back from a woman called Kateri, you know, and she says, yes, you could interview Leonard Cohen. That'd be great. And so uh, I go, well, this is fantastic. She says, she's his new assistant, but she's emailing me like, two o'clock in the morning, you know, or 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning. She's emailing me all the time. And sometimes she emails me and I email back and then I get a reply immediately. It's like we're having a real-time conversation, you know. So, and to be honest with you, you know, I don't know if I should admit this on the radio, but it got a little flirty because she was so attentive. I was like, I was having a little flirtation with Leonard Cohen's assistant. So finally, I did go and interview him in Wilshire District of Los Angeles. We had a great afternoon. And finally, he took me on a tour of his house, you know, and, and it was very, when I said tour, it took about 35 seconds because it was just one very small apartment. And he showed me the office. And the office was those kind of folding tables you can buy at Kmart, you know, plastic table that folds up with boxes stacked on top. So I thought, well, this doesn't like much of an office. So I said, well, where does Kateri work? He said, ah, he said, let me introduce you to Kateri. Now, when he said that, my heart raced a little bit because now I was going to meet this woman who I've been flirting with in, you know, broad daylight. So he takes me in the kitchen and up above the kitchen sink is one of those cupboards high up and he opens it up and on the very top shelf, there's a statue of a Native American woman. He said, that is Kateri. Now, what had happened was Kelly Lynch, who was his assistant, had actually defrauded him of all his money. So he had no money left. So he couldn't afford to hire a new assistant. So he just used this name Kateri as his own assistant. So, from, so I looked up and then I looked at the ground and I was overwhelmed with embarrassment. He started chuckling because then we both realized that I had actually been flirting with Leonard Cohen himself. Oh, that's so <laughs> fabulous. And then you were able to really talk about that kind of flow that yeah. you talk about, that sure. flow and being part of that whole creative and sure. brilliant cycle. And uh, people can 
find out more about that when they just yeah, the tap into the, the, to the, the, book. the yeah. Uh, book. Yeah. So thank you so much for wow, sharing thank that. You. Thank you. And thank you for being part of the New Dimensions Cafe My today. pleasure, my honor. Mm. It, it has been my honor and pleasure as well, Arjuna. So I'd like to remind our listeners that I have been speaking with Arjuna Arda. He spells his last name A-R-D-A-G-H. Arjuna Arda, and he is the author of Radical Brilliance, many other books as well. His website is radicalbrilliance.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I thank you for joining us on the New Dimensions Cafe, and I invite you, please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.